Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, we're going to be having a chat about a bloke named Hasakura Tsunanaga. Who was a uh, he was a Japanese samurai. He lived in the 1500s and 1600s. Uh, he ended up becoming a diplomat, right, and went on this incredible voyage halfway around the world as an emissary, as the first Spanish emissary to Europe, uh, to to Spain and to the Pope. Uh, these days, obviously, you know, a, a big trip from Japan to Europe. It might not sound like too much. Well, actually, maybe it it might sound like too much in the days of you know a pandemic induced lockdown and, and travel restrictions everywhere. It actually might sound like a, a big deal, but uh, back then contact between Japan and Europe was was pretty limited, pretty limited. And so this voyage was it was truly historic. Japan sending the very first ambassador all the way to Europe to meet with uh, you know all the all these uh, people in the vaulted halls of power. Uh, the story, honestly, as we get into it, you'll realise it. It honestly does sound like the plot to you know a, a film or a video game. In order to repent for the crimes of his father and restore his family's lost honour, Hasakura Tsunanaga was sent on a voyage halfway around the world as the first Japanese diplomat to visit Europe. I mean. We need to obviously iron out the the trailer there, but it's you know it's a, it's a solid it's a solid concept. Um, he had all sorts of uh, all sorts of adventures, of course, throughout the years of his travels. He visited kings and popes. He learnt of European culture, while of course exposing Europe to Japanese culture as well. And um, while his voyage sort of you know it didn't send world or even Japanese history sort of veering down a certain path, Hasakura still played his part in shaping. Uh, the foreign and religious policy of Japan in, in, in a pretty significant way. And, and this was policy that, you know, would, as we'll, as we'll discuss, very profoundly impact the path that Japan took uh, after his voyage had finished in, in the years to, to come after that. So there is a lot to get a, a, across today, a lot to get across. Uh, although I think I, I do want to start the show off here with just a bit of a warning, a bit of a warning for all the listeners, especially all the regulars. Uh, now, many people who have listened to Half Us History for a while will know that stories on the podcast are often filled with, you know, blood and guts and an horrible murder and uh, obviously there's usually a lot of that on the show so I just want to warn you here I just want to give you a fair warning before we get into that that this story the story of Hasakura at Tsunanaga uh, contains almost none uh, there is really a big lack of blood and guts hardly any horrible murder whatsoever so uh, consider yourselves warned I just wanted to I just wanted to give you the, the heads up there before we get too deep into it uh, that there is very little in the way of blood and guts this way around. I do apologise for that, of course. You'll have to excuse me, but that's just the way that it goes sometimes there. 
But outside of that, there's still, you know, there's still plenty of good stuff outside Blood and Guts and Horrible Murder. So uh, don't worry about that. We'll get to it. Let's get to it. Here we go. Off down the track with the story of Hasakura Tsunanaga. So we're going all the way back here, all the way back to 1571. When young uh, Hasakura was born to a reasonably well-off family, uh, mid-level nobles, they were... We don't actually know too much about his younger years, to be honest. We know that his family um, was connected to the imperial family. So, you know, he's a man of impeccable breeding. Uh, he's, he's got a good pedigree behind him. Uh, and that he grew up to become a samurai in the service of his daimyo, or his lord, uh, a bloke named Date Masamune. Now, Date, very, very powerful bloke indeed, very powerful lord. Uh, he's known as the one-eyed dragon of Oshu uh, because he only had one eye. He wasn't a dragon, unfortunately. The, the one-eyed part was true. The dragon may have been a slight embellishment, but the, uh, the one-eyed, the one-eyed, the one-eyedness, fantastic. He's doing a great job there. Dragonness, a eh, little bit of work. A little bit of work still needed for Dante there. But anyway, um, as a young man, Hasakura, he's cutting about in, a, in, a, in Date's uh, castle, in his lands, whatever else, you know, doing odd jobs here and there for Date when he needed him to. Not a bad life overall, not a bad life, but in the grand scheme of things, a a pretty unremarkable one. So, look, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to have a go at the bloke. You know, he did fight in the in the, uh, the Japanese invasion of Korea in 1597, but, you know, that was only for six months and didn't really result in too many interesting stories. So, broadly speaking, not much of, you know, sweeping historical interest went on in, in the life of old mate uh, Hasakura for, for, you know, his, his younger years. I'm, I'm not trying to take anything away from him. Obviously, he's just living his life. But um, it's not until 1613 when he's well into his 40s here that we start to sit up and take interest in, uh, in in what was going on with this bloke. Because in 1613, right, Hasakura's dad was done for corruption and he was put to death for it. Oh, bloody no. This is bad news. I can tell you this is bad news. Well, obviously it's bad news for the dad. He's been told to bloody fall on his sword. That's not good, That's not good news for anyone, mate. It's also, I mean, yeah, it's, it's also bad news. Very, very bad news for our, uh, for our mate uh, Hasakura here as well because ordinarily, right, in a situation like this, the son would go the same way as the father, you know, lands confiscated, wealth confiscated, and then, uh, you know, an intimate evening with a sharp blade. See you later, alligator. That's all she wrote today as sports fans. But luckily for Hasakura, that was not, as it turns out, all she wrote today, sports fans. His feudal lord, Dante Masamune, had other ideas for him. Now, Dante offered him an opportunity to restore his family's honour, right, and overcome the disgrace of his of his father's, uh, you know, outing as, uh, as as being so corrupted, by sending him on a voyage to Europe to act as an ambassador, to visit the King of Spain and the Pope, to build trade links and to invite Christian missionaries back along with him. Now, when I read this for the first time, I remember thinking, mate, this is just the opening plot hook to like some expansive open world RPG. So the next time that, you know, some AAA sandbox game that you're playing sends you on this ridiculous convoluted overblown quest, remember that there is at least a little historical legitimacy to it and that this sort of thing actually did happen. You know, sometimes you've got, sometimes you, it's the most ridiculous uh, situation that, that, that causes you to be sent on these quests in, in video games. And look, there's there there's there's historical evidence to back up that this sort of thing actually did take place. So there you go. But here's the question: Why was Date Masamune even organising this voyage in the first place? You know what what was going on uh, more broadly to have uh, Hasakura in a spot to be sent off as this diplomat, right? Well, 
in order to answer that, we've got to widen the aperture a little bit here and and, and put uh, Japan in a sort of uh, in a historical context. Uh, in particular, its its relationships with with foreign nations and specifically uh, European nations. Japan had had limited contact with Europeans uh, before this, obviously, as nations such as you know Portugal, Spain, the Netherlands, they'd established colonies um, uh, throughout Southeast Asia. They'd been trading silver and spices and whatever else, Philippines and, and all the rest of it there. So. Obviously, uh, Japan, even if it hadn't been colonized or it hadn't had these powers coming in and trying to just sort of set up shop there necessarily, it had definitely interacted with uh, with European visitors, whether they were, you know, diplomats or traders or missionaries, right? Lots of these people had been kicking about in, in Japan for, for a number of years, although uh, Japan's relationship with, uh, you know, Europe during the age of, of, of colonization at this point, at the early age of sail, was a very different one, uh, broadly speaking, uh, to compared to, you know, the experience of of other people in the face of, of European colonization, invasion, whatever else there. So um, Japan at this point uh, obviously had had uh, contact with the Western Hemisphere, although it was more limited and uh, Japan ma- man- managed to maintain a fair bit more independence and, and sovereignty uh, during this time period here. But in 1609, right, there's, a, there's an incident, there's a, a, something takes place that sort of kicks this whole story off that, that ends up bringing Hasekura into it and, and ends up in, in, the first, in the first ever uh, diplomatic mission from Japan to Europe actually taking place. And it's in 1609 when a Spanish galleon named, uh, named San Francisco was wrecked on the Japanese coast, but its captain... And its crew survived. The captain was a former governor of the Philippines. His name was Rodrigo de Vivero. And de Vivero, after having been rescued, he and his crew were rescued off uh, on the Japanese coast, on the shore there. Uh, after having been rescued, de Vivero, he met with a shogun, the de facto ruler of Japan, whose name was uh, Tokugawa Hidetada. He uh, and his father, who the, the retired shogun, Tokugawa Ia- um, Iyasu, uh, met with de Vivero. And uh, they seem to get on pretty well. Honestly, they seem to get on pretty well. They drafted, they actually drafted a treaty together between Japan and Spain. Um, and in order to try to get this treaty on its feet, they agreed to sail across the Pacific back to New Spain, right, in North America, with news of this potential agreement. Now, this treaty, it was a good one for Spain, I have to say. Not only did it uh, allow the establishment of, of Spanish mining settlements and invite Catholic missionaries, it also had provisions that would compromise Dutch interests in Japan because, as I say, the Portuguese, uh, the Dutch, the Spanish are all sort of competing for trading rights within Japan, within the fiercely independent Japan, all of them looking to get a foothold into this nation and uh, and take advantage of its trade networks and, and what have you. But the most important part of this treaty, for our story at least, was that it also set out a plan for Japan to send an official diplomatic mission to Spain. So... Off de Vivero goes, right? He goes off, off across the ocean with this, with this drafted treaty in hand after having met with the shogun. He goes off across the ocean in a ship in 1610 with some other Spanish companions as well as, you know, 20-odd Japanese blokes who are the first recorded Japanese people to cross the Pacific Ocean. So we're breaking a lot of milestones today for Japan. Um, anyway, they arrive in New Spain. Now, New Spain, as I say, it's, uh, it's modern-day Mexico, uh, California, that sort of area. So, so around, that, uh, around that, kind of, uh, you know, that kind of zone there. And they meet in New Spain. They meet with a viceroy there in, in Acapulco. His name is uh, Luis de Velasco. Now, Viceroy de Velasco, he's very happy to hear about this treaty. He's very happy to hear about the business surrounding it. That, uh, you know, that, uh, he's pleased to hear that people are getting on so well. Uh, and so he sends a famous Spanish explorer, Sebastian Vizcano, 
back off to Japan to act as an official Spanish ambassador, meet with the shogun and hammer out the details of this treaty. Now, Vizcano, he arrives in 1611, but unfortunately, right, after travelling across the Pacific back to Japan from New Spain, he ruffles a few feathers. He didn't have a lot of respect for Japanese customs, unfortunately, and he wasn't there too long before he actually went off on another voyage to search for these mythical, these legendary uh, islands filled with gold and silver that were rumoured to be near Japan. Classic move for, the, for a Spaniard there. Classic Spanish move, that is. Um, and this this voyage to the to the fabled islands of, of silver and gold was another disaster as well. This kind of ship was heavily damaged by some stinking weather. And he had to limp. He had to limp back to you know Jap- a Japanese port without without finding anything. He got nothing to show for it. So despite him kind of stuffing up more or less everything at this point. Vizcano, he's still trying to get the draft of treaty through. Uh, he's still trying to sort of sweet talk the Shogun further here. And so the Shogun agrees to build him a new ship to take him back to New Spain. Maybe the Shogun actually just wanted to get rid of him altogether. Um, and, and this was the fastest way to do it. But w- whatever it was, right, the Shogun agrees to build a ship to send Vizcano back to New Spain and agrees also to send a Japanese ambassador to Spain itself on the other side of the Atlantic in Europe as was written in the treaty. And who was put in charge of building this ship and finding the people to go on the voyage? Of course, we come back now to Date Masamune and his newly disgraced samurai, Hasakura Tsunanaga. So, Date, as you know, as the bloke who was put in charge of this, uh, of putting together this expedition, even if he wasn't going to go on himself, the bloke who was put in charge of organising it, he appointed Hasakura as the official ambassador of this historic journey, which again represented the very first official embassy sent from Japan to Europe. So, the Japanese, they build this ship. It's known as the Date Maru to the Japanese and the, the San Juan Batista to the Spanish. Uh, it was a Japanese-built ship, although it was done in the style of the Spanish galleons. Some some other foreign uh, shipbuilders and stuff worked on it there. And once the ship was, was stocked and supplied and ready to go, built and, and finished and whatever else and, and, and fully crewed, Date, he summoned Hasakura and gave him his quests. So you can imagine there, Hasakura pulls out the, the quest log and uh, writes down he's, he's, he's to travel to Spain to officially discuss trade agreements with the King of Spain there and then to continue on to Rome and meet with the Pope. Um, so those are the main quests, but there was also a little side quest given to him as well. Date seemed very keen indeed to bring Catholicism to his realm. And so he gave Hasakura uh, some letters to give to the Pope with an open invitation to send as many padres as possible, as, as it was written there in the letter. And so uh, th- those, those, are the, those are the two main objectives that he was given. Obviously, go and tr- discuss trade, discuss religion. But he may have also been given some other secret bonus objectives. We're not sure. We're not 100% sure of this because obviously the line between a diplomat and a spy is often very blurry. But there is the possibility that he may have also been instructed to clandestinely research European mining and military technology. Although if that's the case, it's never been confirmed 100%. We don't have a lot of evidence to suggest that, you know, it definitely took place. Although certainly a possibility to keep, in, to keep that in mind. Anyway, Hasakura. He updates his quest log and off he goes. With everything in readiness, the San, uh, the San Juan Batista, as it's sort of become known to history, even though it was called the Date Maru by the Japanese, this, if, if, you know, you'll get more Google results for searching for the San Juan Batista at this point. Um, it left Japan on the 28th of October in 1613 with a crew of around 180. Now, this included 20-something samurai along with, uh, along with Hasakura uh, and 120 Japanese sailors, merchants, servants, that sort of thing. And the rest of the crew were European, including, of course, Vizcano, who was on his way back westward after his sort of a patchy performance as a, as a Spanish diplomat there. Now, 
ordinarily on this podcast, a long ocean voyage like this, bit of surprise naval history, obviously a, a long ocean voyage like this would be filled with thrills and spills, tales of adventure, misadventure, all sorts of other stuff like that, but not so here. Because by all accounts, the voyage from, Spain, from Japan to New Spain, it was as smooth as anything. Got across the Pacific, no worries at all. So I'm, I'm very sorry that there's no, you know, storms or mutinies or, a, you know, an attack by a giant squid. Just, just nothing. It looks like it just went very, very, very smoothly indeed. So after sailing westward for a few months, the, uh, the San Juan Batista, it arrived at the coast of modern day California and then sailed south to Acapulco and arrived there on the 25th of January, 1614. So that they're safe and sound. And here's where it gets good. Don't worry. Don't you worry about it. Even if we don't have mutinies and krakens and whatever else, the Japanese arrived here to great fanfare, honoured guests, all that, and here's where stuff gets good. Because bloody Vizcano, he stuffed it all up again. Honestly, this bloke, he's just got no cultural awareness whatsoever because he managed to offend the Japanese again with the way that he handled the presents that the Japanese had brought uh, for the Spanish in New Spain. I mean, by this stage, right, the Japanese, he's come over to Japan, right? He's, but he insulted them. He's, 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 he's mucked it all up. He's offended their sensibilities, their culture, whatever else like that. And then he's doing it again back in New Spain now because he's mishandled the way that, you know, the, 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 the tradition, the gifts, whatever else they've brought, for, uh, they've brought for, the, for the people in, Sp- in New Spain there, right? And the Japanese have just had enough of this bloke. They've actually just had enough. He's, he's taking the piss out of them. He's clumsy insults and all the rest of it there. So they just, well, what they do is they beat the crap out of him, which is, you know, <laughs> definitely not the way to solve problems like these, but that is how it went. There were some pretty nasty scraps, actually, between the Japanese at the Sp- and the Spanish at this point, and, and Vizcano, he got his teeth kicked in. Luckily, however, cooler heads prevailed, and it did, uh, it sort of, it stopped short of, of total disaster, luckily. The Japanese, after this uh, sort of altercation with Vizcano, they were forbidden from carrying weapons ashore, except for Hasakura and a handful of other samurai. And but uh, but the Spanish in Acapulco, they were ordered to treat the, uh, their visitors with the greatest of respect. So things kind of calmed down a little bit after that. After Vizcano sort of took his licks, and uh, the Japanese merchants, they're cutting around in Acapulco, they're selling their goods. While Hasakura, he he's trying to figure out his next move. As of course, you know, he's got to get across the Atlantic now. He's got to cross, uh, got to go, got to get across over to uh, to Europe and onto Spain now, doesn't he? So. He and his entourage, they stay in Acapulco for two months. And while there, many of the Japanese travellers were baptised, although not Hasakura as he wants it done in Europe. So you can see that the spread of Christianity now, I mean, Hasakura, he's gung-ho about it. He's ready to bring the Lord, uh, you know, the bloody Jeezy Crazy into the word, the good word of the Lord Jeezy Crazy into, uh, into Japan. And a lot of his followers uh, are being baptised as, uh, as Catholics now. So... After chilling in Acapulco for a while, right, and getting all this sort of stuff done, Hasakura, he finally, he gets on with his trip. He left half or, or perhaps more of, uh, of the Japanese people that he brought with him. Uh, he left them there in uh, Acapulco, took the rest along and headed overland uh, with the other half. Um, and after making the journey across modern-day Mexico, Hasakura arrived in Veracruz, where he once again took to the seas and departed on the second leg of his journey on the 10th of June in 1614. They stopped in at Cuba making Hasakura and his party the first ever Japanese people to set foot on the island. Uh, there is a statue that is commemorating this event that was in, uh, that's there in Havana Bay, uh, installed in 2001. And after just a week in Cuba, uh, they set sail again, and would you believe it, once again enjoyed an entirely uneventful sea voyage, this time across the Atlantic. Now, you know, a few other stories, think about these, a few other stories that we've had on half House History could really have done with Hasakura's good luck while sailing the seas. I'll tell you what, because we've certainly had some, th- some, some thrills and spills on the open ocean in the past. 
but not so with Hasakura Tsunanaga. He seemed to uh, be uh, he seemed to be blessed with uh, with good fortune here uh, as he as he made his way across the Atlantic. And after three or four months at sea. Hasakura and his companions, they arrived safely in San Luca de Barrameda on the 5th of October in 1614. And there they were warmly welcomed by the local duke. And uh, they made quite a show of marching out. I'll tell you this as well, the Japanese fully armed, around 40 of them all up. So it was quite a spectacle. All these warriors from a faraway lands with their curious armor and unfamiliar weapons and all that sort of stuff. People were very, very interested to see these, these exotic visitors from the other side of the world. And after all the pomp and circumstance that you'd expect surrounding not only, you know, these these incredibly interesting foreign visitors, also the visit of a, a high-level diplomat, right, Hasakura, he made his way to Madrid, and he met with the King of Spain himself, Philip the uh, Philip III, one of the Philips who was in charge of Spain during, during the 80 Years' War, interestingly, uh, episode eight, uh, 68, get across it, and this meeting was the very first ever official diplomatic embassy sent from Japan to Europe. So it was quite it was a quite a historically significant event. It really was. Now on paper as well, I wanna I really want to say Hasakura, bloody brilliant job. He really did. He did he did such a good job on paper. He's, he's there, he rocks up, get your majesty, Hasakura Tsunanaga here, how you going? You know, from Japan, bloody beautiful country, got the cherry blossoms, all that. Anime in a few centuries, you have to wait on that one, sorry. Um, anyway, here with this uh, with this treaty, right? Want to bung this together? What do you reckon? Get some trade going between, between Japan and Spain? No worries. Here's this, here's this letter from my boss, Date Masamune. Have a read. Let me know what you reckon. No worries at all, there, Chief. I'll, uh, I'll 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 stick around and see what you got to say about it. Now, King Philip. He goes, oh, yeah, nah, no worries, big fella. Listen, we'll get it sorted. Trade sounds good. A few missionaries as well to talk about old Jeezy Crazy. I reckon she should be apples here, mate. Not a worry at all. So on the face of it, going fantastic. King's on board. He's saying beautiful. Yep, get this sorted. Don't even worry about it. However, he was all talk. King Philip, he was all talk. There was growing resentment of the Japanese, unfortunately, after some stories of uh, some, some rather less than sympathetic treatment of Christian missionaries. Uh, these stories had begun to make their way back to Europe at around the same time as um, as Hasakura had arrived. And so there was a little bit of scepticism about uh, Japan's tolerance towards, uh, you know, t- towards European influence. And as a result, King Philip, he, he's pretty uh, he's pretty reluctant to commit to anything here. And in fairness to, uh, you know, to, his, to him and his, his decision to sort of not sort of, you know, attack this opportunity with both hands, there was a fair bit of persecution of Christians going on. Date Masamuni was definitely uh, on the other side of the fence when it came to the way, broadly speaking, that uh, particularly the shogun treated and and viewed the uh, the, the Christians uh, and, and the spread of Christianity, Christian missionaries, and, and the spread of Christianity throughout uh, throughout Japan. So uh, Hasakura and uh, and and Date are definitely on the other side of the fence here. So it's worth keeping that in mind. And King Philip was uh, displaying a level of, of, of understandable prudence, given the fact that, uh, you know, there had been stories of mistreatment and, and in some cases just, you know, murder and massacre of, of, of Christian missionaries and whatever else they're like that. So, you know, again, while Date, Date Masamuna was all about it and actively wanted Christianity to spread to Japan, others back in Japan, they're not so keen on it. Some, you know, missionaries had 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 returned with stories of mistreatment and and murder and what and whatever else and uh, so for all his talk you know Philip he just really didn't seem to have any real intention of following through uh, or perhaps maybe he was talked out of it later not 100% sure but the bottom line is despite the fancy reception despite everything else Hasakura he really was fighting an uphill battle here however 
Hasekura didn't just uh, complete. He did. He did. He, it wasn't just the meeting with uh, with with the king that he had there. He did manage to con- complete a different, a more personal side quest there for just grinding some extra XP uh, while there in Madrid. He was baptized just as he wanted as as he'd wanted to be there by the king's personal chaplain, and uh, he even had the Duke of Lerma named as his godfather, which was quite a get, you would think, because King Philip the Third. Honestly, he wasn't much of a king. He was he was a bit useless, it had to be said. And the Duke of Lerma was more or less the de facto ruler of Spain at this point. He was the sort of the dark confidant, you know. He was the bloke, the the grimmer worm tongue behind the throne there. Um, although he was also a bit of a nasty old bastard, it has to be said. But uh, look, whatever. He's the godfather of, of, of Hasekura. So the honours are being rolled out. They're rolling out the proverbial red carpet for this Japanese ambassador uh, who is baptised now as Francisco Felipe Faxicura. Although we will keep calling him Hasakura for ease and simplicity here instead, uh, but uh, unfortunately for him, right? Unfortunately, unfortunately for the uh, for the newly baptized Hasakura here, he was he was broadly unsuccessful in getting some some momentum behind this trade agreement with Spain. Although it's difficult to call you know his mission a, com- a complete failure, he didn't really stuff anything up. He just was kind of swimming against the tide sadly for him as this uh, this you know the, the anti-christian sentiment in Japan kind of led to anti-japanese sentiment in Christendom so that's the way that it went there but his mission of course it wasn't over just yet was it no it wasn't uh, it, it, he still had some um, some quests to tick off the old journal there so it wasn't long before well actually sorry no it was long it was long before he was <laughs> was back at it because Hasakura and his mates they stayed in Spain for eight months. Eight months. Quite a nice little holiday there. You know, a bit of sunshine, a bit of tapas in the afternoon, mate. Siesta as well. Beautiful. Loving it. Um, but after this uh, this Spanish uh, sojourn here, Hasakura is back on a ship. He's back off again, this time heading towards Rome, of course, to go and meet with the Pope. Now, interestingly, on this voyage, this is my favorite part of the story here. Some bad weather caused a brief pause in his journey. Again, no mutinies, no giant squid, nothing like that. Just a bit of bad weather. But it caused, it forced his ship to pull into port in France. So he made a, a an unscheduled impromptu stopover in France, in Saint-Tropez, right? And this is the first recorded instance of French-Japanese relations. And, and what an instance it was. I tell you what, it was the first time in recorded history that French and Japanese people had interacted. Maybe there had been some French people who had travelled on, you know, Spanish ships or Portuguese Dutch ships over to Japan, whatever else. But this is the first official time, first recorded instance of French and Japanese people interacting with, e- with each other. And I tell you what, I'm, gla- I'm bloody glad they did. I'm bloody glad they did because we got some great stories from it, right? Hasakura and the rest of the embassy, they stayed in Saint-Tropez for just a few days and 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 there was they managed to make quite an impression on the locals there and i i i tell you this it's from this this short french shop uh, stop over here that we have some of the some of the most i mean i think i think they're fantastic some of the more personal some of the more day-to-day impressions uh, that they made on Europe uh, that were recorded for posterity. Of course, you know, they march off the ship in all of their armour, whatever else, in Spain, and everyone's going, oh, buddy, look at them swords, them spears, whatever else, looking very fancy, very, you know, very interesting, whatever else. But that's, whatever. The the, the stuff that was recorded in, in France, I find to be just much, I don't know, it, it, it just, it, it, uh, it, it resonates with me in a much, much, much more interesting way. And, and maybe it will for you too, because there was a woman, whose name, unfortunately, has been lost to history, right, who made quite a detailed account of the Japanese visit and didn't talk about the weapons and the armour and all the other big fancy stuff there, no. 
she wrote down just some of their basic customs and habits, right? So wrote down just some observations on the way that they behave day to day that really give us a, a window into the, the cultural fascination that was enjoyed by, you know, by the people exchanging these very unfamiliar, these, these cultures that had never met before, right? And I want, to, I want to read you some of the things that she wrote down just to give you a sense of how easy it was to amaze a European in the early 17th century because some of this stuff today we take for granted, right? <clears throat> Their swords can cut so well that they can cut a soft paper just by putting it on the edge and by blowing on it. So, you know, fair enough. You are going to talk about the swords and the armor and the weapons, whatever. You're going to talk about all that sort of stuff because it is it is interesting. And fair enough, this is pretty fascinating, right? Sharp sword, very cool trick. Blow against a bit of paper. You know, it would impress me. Cutting paper by blowing it against a blade, I'd be impressed by that. That's that's pretty cool. Okay, so that's it. That's, that's there recorded and, and that makes sense. They never touch food with their fingers, but instead use two small sticks that they hold with three fingers. The people in France, right, were amazed to see these visitors eat with what were, of course, chopsticks. I mean, look, okay, in fairness, I can't use chopsticks. It is cool when people can, but I'm hardly writing home about it, right? Like, I'm not writing home going, bloody hell, you wouldn't believe these. These people, they got two sticks between three little fingers. You'll never believe it. Unbelievable. Right, but still, I guess. Look, first time you've seen it, I suppose it's pretty amazing. I mean, I'm, in fairness, yes, I suppose I'm still mildly impressed when people can pick up noodles or whatever with chopsticks. It's it's a pretty impressive feat. And if you've never seen it before, sure, I, I guess it's going to impress you. But check this one out, right? This was considered worthy of inclusion in this record that this woman wrote of the Japanese of the Japanese uh, visit here. This this is what amazed these Europeans. Are you ready for this one? <clears throat> They blow their noses in soft, silky papers the size of a hand, which they never use twice, so that they throw them on the ground after usage, and they were delighted to see our people around them precipitate themselves to pick them up. Yeah, all right, look, nah, I mean... (laughs) I'm not impressed by bloody tissues, mate. I'm certainly not. Imp- well, I, I'm certainly not impressed by littering, right? Certainly not impressed by littering. But I'm not impressed by these tissues. What are these French people doing, going around picking up used tissues? Gross, dude. Come on. What is going to just like ask for a tissue to have a look at one before they use it, mate? I mean, it's just a tissue. Get a pack of them from the supermarket for a dollar fifty. Don't worry about it. Also, again. What are the Japanese people just doing chucking away their tissues like on the ground after blowing their schnozzes? Like, that's not on. I mean, you shouldn't litter at the best of times. You definitely shouldn't litter when you're a guest in a foreign country. I just love the fact that like something that today, obviously, you know, 400 years later is so mundane. The mundanity of blowing your nose was worthy of putting down on the historical record by this woman. And I mean, I don't fault her for it. I guess there are so many questions that I have from this sort of thing, right? You know, Hasekura, the rest of the Japanese people, they've brought tissues with them. So they're prepared travellers. They brought tissues with them halfway across the world, right? But what were the Europeans using? Are they just like emptying? Are they, are they doing that thing like in Australia we call it the Bushman's hanky where you, you cover, you put your finger on one nostril and then just blow the, blast the rest of it out onto the side of the street? Like, is that what you do? Is that what they're doing before that? Tissues were such an incredible thing that, that for Europeans to see in the early 17th century that was written down. and used, I, Look, I don't know. I don't know about you. But I really enjoy little slices of history like that. You know, tiny little windows into the past. Not about kings and wars and all that sort of stuff. Just little things where childish, child, the childish fascination of seeing something for the first time echoes throughout the centuries. I, th- I, thought, it was, I thought it was very cool. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Anyway. After the visit, after the stopover in France, after they're chucking, you know, they've, they've spent a couple of days littering all up and down France there, Hasakura cruised back on towards the, on the ship, cruised back on towards the Italian peninsula, stopping in here and there before finally arriving in Rome towards the end of 1615. And there, once again, all the fancy trappings of an international diplomat's visit, and once again, he is ushered through the halls of power and meets the Pope, Pope Paul V in November, November 1615. And there, Hasakura presents Paul with two gilded letters. You'll remember that Date Masamuna gave him some letters to give to the Pope, and he presents them to him, one in Latin and the other in Japanese. And, mate, you should have a listen to what was written in these letters. It is unbelievable. Now, I've already mentioned that Date Masamune was ridiculously keen for a bit of the old, you know, bloody Father, Son, and Holy Spirit treatment, absolutely gagging for the Pope he was. And these letters, they make that abundantly clear. Check this out. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it does go on for quite a while, but I'll just give you the good bit. Here's the highlights package. Here's the highlights reel from this letter that Dante Massimino sent to the Pope. He starts with a very bold opening. Kissing the holy feet of the great, universal, most holy Lord of the entire world, Pope Paul, in profound submission and reverence. I mean, what a way to open a letter. You're certainly not coming back after that, are you? But it's not just him doing the feet kissing either. I mean, you open a letter with the feet kissing line, and I guess that sort of sets the tone of it, but it's not just Dato Masamune doing the feet kissing here because, look, again, here's the truncated version of other parts of the letter. Again, this is the highlights package. You ready? <clears throat> In order to encourage my subjects to become Christians, I wish that you send missionaries. Because of that, I have sent one of my samurai, Hasakura, as my representative across the seas to Rome to give you the stamp of obedience and to kiss your feet. I mean, I don't know if Hasakura knew that one of the, you know, sub-objectives of his quest was smooching another bloke's feet. I mean, I don't know if he knew what he was signing up for. I mean, I know he didn't have much of a choice. He bloody, his dad had dishonoured his family, had to reclaim his family's lost honour, but... Kissing the bloody warty, unwashed, hairy, bloody toenails of, of, of a pontiff on the other side of the world. It's a, I mean, well, unless you're into it, unless you're into it. In that case, oh, mate, he's loving life. I mean, I don't, I don't know one way or the other. I certainly didn't, I'll tell you this, certainly didn't ever discover any evidence to indicate that Hasakura wasn't into it. But in that case, what are you doing, mate? Save it for the bloody papal-only fans. You'll make a bloody fortune, Paul. Fill the coffers right up with the bloody, you know, that premium foot content. Premium, premium papal foot content there. Anyway, whatever. Once again, our boy, feet kissing or not, Hasakura, he's done a great job. Quest complete. The Pope, he says he's on board. Fantastic. Love it. Get some missionaries to Japan. No worries at all. He doesn't have too much to say about the trading situation, to be honest. He's going to leave that one to Philip III back in Spain. 
But unfortunately, he's talking out his ass again. Just like Philip, Paul is mostly full of hot air. He's also heard of the deteriorating relationships between the Christians and the Japanese authorities, and he doesn't exactly race to send off the promised missionaries. Having said that, you can't really fault Hasakura himself personally. I mean, he's done his job. He's passed on the message. He's done his best to get these kings and these popes on side, but it's just... It's just not the way that the wind was blowing, unfortunately, and ultimately his embassy to to the Pope was was kind of unsuccessful on a, on a broader level. More personally, however, more personally, I will tell you this, he did all right for himself. Um, in Rome, he was gifted with an honorary Roman citizenship, you know, a very noble title, elevating him to the, amongst the likes of Julius Caesar with an honorary citizenship like this, which, again, not too bad for a fellow whose dad died in disgrace a bloke who was sent off on a you know on a mission of pen- penitence obviously he just just really knew how to 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 smooch a foot there because the pope seemed to be the pope seemed to be a pretty big fan of him there not too bad but from the pers- perspective of his overall mission he is now uh zero for two in getting european or authorities on board with trade and then with religion so for all the fancy welcomes all the powerful receptions offered to hasakura the world of international diplomacy it proved to be a pretty fruitless one for him unfortunately And after spending some more time in Rome, he didn't manage to advance his cause particularly meaningfully at all. And so a little into 1616, Hasekura, he bid farewell to Rome and to the Pope, and he got back on a ship across the Mediterranean back to Spain. And there he was planning to have another crack at the king, uh, King Philip III, and see if he couldn't, you know, couldn't just get this trade deal underway. But check this out. Things had changed. And if the wind hadn't been at Hasakura's back before, he was now walking headlong into a bloody gale. In 1614, years previously, the shogun, Tokugawa Hidetari, you remember him? He was, a bit of, he, was, he was a bit of a xenophobe, this fellow, I have to say. And he had issued an edict that effectively banned Catholicism altogether from Japan. Just banned it, right? And news of this had finally reached Spain by the time that Hasakura returned from Rome. So... Tokugawa, he saw the spread, the shogun, he saw the spread of Christianity into Japan as a pernicious foreign influence, and so he ordered the expulsion of all missionaries from Japan. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more um, a little bit later on, but essentially Tokugawa, he was worried that European powers like the Spanish were using the spread of Christianity to pave the way for a future invasion, which is not an altogether an unreasonable fear, given the track record of the Spanish and the Portuguese the Dutch at this point, as to be said, although... It did have some pretty significant consequences, as we'll discuss in a tick here. But what it meant for our story, what it means for Hakusura at this point, is that he's got Buckley's chance, basically. He's got Buckley's chance. At this point, King Philip, he's even questioning whether Hasakura is actually a legitimate ambassador, given that he has said that Japan is begging for Christianity to come to its shores, and as the shogun is expelling missionaries. So this ambassador turns up and says, well, here's my, my, what my boss wants, and then all of a sudden, the shogun, the boss, is, the, the boss above his boss, is going, well, actually, no, you know, tell your story, walking Catholics are not, are not interested in it. So, again, it does look like Date, old mate Date was on the wrong side of the fence on this one. He looked like he backed the wrong horse by uh, supporting Christianity in Japan. Oops. And ultimately, it meant that Hasakura's mission was effectively a failure. But I tell you what, it was no less historical and no less interesting for not being successful because there are, I mean, some of the, some of the relics, some of the artifacts, the documents, the paintings, the, the, the imagery, the pictures that resulted, uh, that were the result of, the, of this historic journey are, are just fascinating. And, and not to mention, you know, the very interesting little slice of life pictures that we get uh, painted for us 
uh, you know, <laughs> by the idea of the Japanese blowing into tissues and littering. And that fascinating people and French people scrambling to pick up used tissues from these uh, from these distinguished visitors. I, I just, I love it. I've, I think it's fantastic. Anyway, no good sticking around, though. No good sticking around in Spain. After two years in Europe, Hasakura, he's done the best that he could to fulfill his quest. He just didn't get there. Bad RNG, mate. Can't be helped. Can't do anything about that. So he decided to head back home, although quite interestingly, not everyone who arrived alongside him went back with him westward as he left. A good number of the Japanese who had come to Spain with Hasakura in the first place actually remained there forever. And even today, some Spaniards, they carry the last name Japon, right? Which is believed to have originated with these travellers from the early 17th century. This is remarkable. Think of this. There are people in Spain today who can trace their lineage back to the Japanese travellers from 400 years ago who decided to stay behind when Hasakura got in his ship and went back to, across the, uh, the Atlantic and later the Pacific. They decided to stay behind in Spain, and there are Spaniards today who can trace their lineage back to these people. It is incredible. It is in- it just Again, just the, the sort of stuff that echoes throughout history. Amazing. Anyway... Hasakura, he's off back to New Spain, across the Atlantic, and now, after two ocean voyages, I mean, we've, we've talked about this, right? After two ocean voyages that were quite literally smooth sailing, you know that something's going to go wrong the third time around. You know that something's going to go wrong this time around, right? Nope. Once again, bucking the trend of this, uh, of this podcast, Naval History Offerings, Hasakura made it across to modern-day Mexico without a hitch and arrived safe and sound in Acapulco to find the very same ship that he'd travelled uh, traveled over there on three or four years ago, the San Juan Batista, which, of course, had um, it had made a, a trip back to Japan in the meantime, loaded up with all manner of trading goods, but it was now waiting for Hasakura so as to take him back across the Pacific, uh, you know, one final time. But this time, Hasakura stayed for almost half a year in New Spain before finally getting ready to head back to Japan, departing uh, around sometime around the turn of, uh, of 1618. So Hasakura, well and truly taking advantage, a very well-traveled bloke and, and sticking around, enjoying the sights and the sounds and, and uh, giving, pe- giving the, um, the, the, the traders that had come with the San Juan Batista not only time to sell off all this stuff, but also take a bunch of stuff, you know, all these, these good, goods from New Spain back over uh, into, into Asia as well there. So... Hasakura, once again on the San San Juan Batista, sets sail and fourth time lucky, as well as the first, second and third time lucky as well. There were no issues on this sea voyage either. I can only apologize to all the people who were sitting there waiting for something to go wrong on these uh, on these sea voyages. But it looks like Hasakura Tsunanaga really was uh, was blessed with wonderful luck when it came uh, to uh, to being on, on board a ship because nothing went wrong whatsoever. Although the San Juan Batista, it didn't head straight back to Japan. Interestingly, it, in April 1618, it instead arrived in the Philippines uh, where it, uh, it stopped off and then was bought by <laughs> the Spanish. So I don't know what the, if the plan was eventually for the, for the San Juan Batista to then head back to Japan. It never did because the Spanish authorities actually purchased it. The Spanish authorities, they needed ships to fight Dutch Protestants in Southeast Asia. And so they snagged Hasakura's ship and they outfitted it for war instead. So Hasakura instead had to make his way back to Japan under his own steam, which took him two years. A cruisy old time getting back there, Hasakura, mate. I don't know exactly what he was up to. The 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 sort of the the record on on his his adventures in the in and around the Philippines a little thin on the ground. We don't know one hundred percent sure what he got up to, but he did have a very cruisy old time getting back to Japan. But I'll tell you this: the Japan that he came back to 
was starkly different from the one he'd left. Make no mistake. I mentioned earlier before, I mentioned before, that the Shogun, right, Tokugawa Hidetada, wasn't a big fan of Christianity or foreigners in general. And this was becoming increasingly obvious in how Japan treated all of the Christians there. Hasakura went back to Date Masamune and he gave him a full report of his seven-year journey, giving him a portrait of the Pope, uh, as well of, as well as one of himself kneeling in prayer, which you can still see today. But this report was overshadowed very quickly by, by what happened next. And so, it's something that we still really can't explain to this day, not 100% uh, with 100% certainty at any rate. Hasakura did or said something, right? It's assumed anyway, we don't know for sure, to invoke the ire and the wrath of the shogun and brought swift and unrelenting intervention from from uh, Tokugawa there, as uh, which tightened the noose around Christians in Japan very, very quickly and very harshly indeed. Within days of Hasakura's return, imperial edicts were once again announced, ordering all Japanese people to abandon Christianity on pain of death or exile and offering rewards for anyone who dobbed a Christian in. So we went from seven years ago before Hasakura left to a nation that was suspiciously tolerant of uh, foreigners and, and of Christians, you know, they, with, with traders and, and whatever else uh, being allowed into the country with, you know, a level of, uh, of friendliness. Certainly the Shogun had seemed willing to, to trade and barter with, um, uh, with the visiting, uh, you know, visiting colonial powers, what have you. But within the, the time that it took for Fasakura to make this journey, that seems to come completely out the window. You'll remember that Rodrigo de Vivero met with the, with the Shogun earlier on in the show and, and was able to, you know, bang out a drafted treaty, that sort of stuff, completely gone. And this has a lot to do with the death of, uh, of, of, the, father, of, of, of the Shogun's father, who was a little more tolerant in his approach to, uh, um, to outside influence and, uh, and, 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 you know, Europeans and Christians generally. But now the tide has really turned and Christians are being openly persecuted at this point. And so this sharp response in the wake of the return of Hasakura here, it was particularly focused on Date Masamune in his lands. And Hasakura obviously returning to his his, his, his feudal lord, to, 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 to the daimyo there, it, it really did bring a laser-like focus from the shogun. Um, and that that is why we think that it was provoked by Hasakura. We're not. It is educated guesswork. We don't know this one hundred percent, but we it is it is assumed that Hasakura did or said something to again invoke the wrath of the shogun and bring uh, bring further persecution to to Christians throughout throughout Date Masamune's land. The bottom line, Date again, who had been so desperate to kiss the feet of the Pope, we talked about that at length. He hurriedly abandoned his infatuation with Jeezy Crazy and all the rest of it. And even, just to, just for good measure, just to get back on side with the Shogun, executed a couple of Christians, just for good measure, right? Just to, just to show <laughs> which side he really was batting for. He, uh, he obviously saw the way the winds were blowing. He didn't want to fall offside with Tokugawa. Um, and so much so, as well, he didn't just execute some Christians. Later on, he wrote a, a letter to the Shogun trying to wriggle out of responsibility for sending Hasakura in the first place, right? He tried to make it out like that he had just been following orders from the Shogun himself, right? Downplayed the whole religious element of it. 
On the whole, right, the old bloody one-eyed dragon of Oshu, he seemed to have gotten away with it after this sort of wriggly, bloody squirming and worming his way out of responsibility here. He jumped ship at the right time. I'll tell you this, Christian persecution, it only got worse from this point onwards, and uh, Date Masamune definitely found the right point to sort of, you know, take the exit ramp away from being a proponent of uh, of bringing Christianity uh, to, to Japan. He definitely, as I say, definitely jumped ship at the right time. Because as I say, it only got worse from there for Christianity in Japan. Under the next shogun, uh, Tokugawa Iemitsu, the Sakoku Edict of 1635 was announced, right? So this is years later, years and years. We're skipping forward, you know, uh, uh, you know what, 15 years here. Um, the Sakoku Edict, which you may have heard of, it essentially cut Japan off from the rest of the world. This xenophobia, this, this fierce independence, this determination to more or less, you know, to bring underway complete isolationism, right, ultimately uh, resulted in the Sokoku period, the Sokoku years of uh, of Japanese history. It ended the ex- this edict. It ended the exchange of wealth, goods, and of course ideas between Japan and the, the rest of the world. It completely complo- closed um, Japan's borders. Anyone who was attempting uh, a court attempting to leave Japan would be executed. So Japanese people weren't allowed to leave on pain of death. And similarly, any foreigner landing in Japan would also be killed, right? And there were a few, a very few, a handful of exceptions to this. Trade was extremely limited with only uh, the Dutch and the Chinese having access to a handful of trading ports. And uh, along with this, right, all the other trappings of foreign culture, Christi- like like Christianity, for example, was completely banned, completely banned. And again, there were rewards for anyone, uh, the rewards offered for anyone who would dob in someone else for any kind of, uh, you know, affiliation or, uh, or predilection towards anything foreign here at all. So the... The, this period, as I say, it's known as Sokoku. It is. It was a period of Japanese history of complete and total isolationism. And this policy, believe it or not, right after being instituted uh, in 1635, after and again, the the journey of, of Hasekura played a part in uh, in maybe catalyzing it, or at least demonstrating the lengths that the shogun was 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 willing to go to in order to uh, you know to isolate Japan in this way. Right, this period lasted for two. 100 years over 200 years unbelievable japan just cut itself off from the rest of the world until the 19th century it wasn't until the mid 19th century japan once again opened itself back up to the world before then nigh impossible to enter or to leave just a handful of traders coming in and out of a select few ports here but eventually japan did open back up to the world again in the 1850s and 1860s and this resulted in the rather amusingly named First Japanese embassy to Europe, which took place in 1862, and of course was actually the second Japanese embassy to Europe. Mess that one up, fellas. Oops, no worries. Um, and doubtless, of course, the voyage of this actual first embassy with Hasekura at the helm, it did influence this isolationist policy of, of, of Japan for centuries. Even if it wasn't solely responsible for it, Hasekura's uh, return certainly galvanized the xenophobia of uh, Tokugawa Hidetada and, uh, you know, played its part, as I say, in bringing about the, uh, the Sokoku years.
As for Hasakura himself, we are not completely sure, to be honest, what happened to him after he returned uh, from this voyage. There are so many stories about what happened to him uh, after his return in 1620. It's impossible to say which one is true. Some say that he abandoned his new Christian faith, you know, saw the pragmatic side of it and jumped ship along with his uh, his lord there. Some say that he practiced in secret instead uh, until his death, and others say that he was actually one of those executed for it and so became a martyr, although that's, 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 that's less certain. At the end of the day, we don't know. What we do know for sure is that he died on the 7th of August in 1622. Most sources agree on that. Most sources also indicate that he was he died of an illness. You know, I, I don't necessarily think that he was executed by poison. That doesn't seem to be uh, that that argument probably doesn't hold a lot of weight. But he, he certainly did meet his end in 1622, two years after his return there. So you know, a, a, an, an early uh, he, he did sort of fall into an early grave there. Very unfortunately, Asakura after going on this incredible in, adventure, an adventure that fell into obscurity in the years after his death. Unsurprising, considering the isolationism of the Sokoku years, um, but it wasn't rediscovered. His story wasn't rediscovered properly until the 1870s, when this, when another Japanese embassy arrived in Italy and was shown documents and artefacts from Hasekura's visit. And that is why I'm able to share this story today, this incredible story, a story that could have been lost to history, the tale, the remarkable tale of Japan's first ever embassy to Europe and the adventures of the disgraced samurai who who sought to do nothing but restore his family's honour by visiting kings and popes half a world away. This man, Hasakura Tsunanaga. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of Hasakura Tsunanaga. And I do hope you enjoyed it, even if even if it didn't have all the blood and, and the guts and the horrible murder that you crave. I mean, good bit of foot content. Good bit of foot content. So I know that there's going to be some, some listeners who are pricking up their ears. And if you're the kind of sucker who likes to pay for foot content, I, I mean, don't go to patreon.com slash history because there is none of it there. Unless maybe we could maybe we could start a new tier premium historical foot content no 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 no. we can't we can't do that this 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 show has a very carefully cultivated pg image and uh, i mean as much as i'd love the foot dollars i just i don't i don't think my i don't think my image could uh, could handle it. anyway um oh housekeeping stuff mate I've, I've i've jumped the gun here um if you want to support the show of course patreon.com slash half history for a completely foot content free patreon uh, there uh, you can also do it by buying merch although there's not much left to be honest so if you want one of the t-shirts Please act quickly. Um, I'm down to the last couple of sizes as well. There's notebooks available. Uh, so get on that quickly if you want it. Um, halfhousehistory.bigcartel.com. Um, but otherwise, otherwise support the show just by listening to it. Halfhousehistory.net, of course. You can go there and, and, and see all the old episodes. Subscribe on iTunes and Android and, uh, and Spotify. Uh, if you want to support the show for free, uh, just leave a review on iTunes. I've been told that that is very helpful. Uh, mate, I mean, you know. Do a positive one, I reckon. You know, that's that's. I mean, that's where I'd land on it. Certainly. I mean, I don't want to blow my own horn too much, but I do. I do like this, but I think it's all. Right. I think it's all right. I think it's decent. Anyway, um. So there's that. What else have I done? What else I've got to get across? That's it, right? Yeah, that's it. Thank you to all the people supporting me on Patreon. You're the best. You're wonderful. Thank you so much. And um, I think that's all she wrote today, sports fans. It actually is. Yes, we're done. All right, I'm out of here. Um, thanks very much for tuning in. I'll be back next week, of course, with more Half-Ass History. So, uh, oh, no, no, contact. That's our contact form. Send in um, any ideas you have, any uh, any topic suggestions, that sort of stuff. Got a big list of them, and it certainly gets bigger every week. So if you've got any any ideas, please, or some feedback or whatever else, um, you can use the contact form on the website. Again, half History.net. Get across that. All right, we're done. We're, that's it. We're out of here. Um, 
Got a question posed on Reddit here. I like this one. Obviously, we talked about Japan. We talked about Japan's isolationist policies. And it's interesting because all of the isolationism of Japan has never really been able to save it from its greatest enemy, its greatest enemy over the years. And and this is a question that uh, Sergeant Psycho asked on Reddit here. And it's a good one to think about. Why do giant monsters disproportionately attack Japan? Why are their attacks not spread more evenly across the world's landmasses? 